After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your co-host, Becky Shrimpton, and with me... Once again is Ms. Danielle Ayao. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Becky. Hey. So we're doing a sex movie this week. So of course I had to call you up and be like, hey, do you want to come talk about this? Of course. Because that's my favorite topic. It is. Yeah. Because we've done Porky's together and we've done the surrogate together. And uh, I believe Cam was also doing the BAFTAs at that time as well. Yes. Uh, And uh, now we have another, um, what what, what are we going to say, promiscuous, delightful romp? It is, but it's not. It's not exactly quite a sex comedy. It, it transcends a lot of a lot of genres, and we are going to get into that. I am so excited. Uh, our guest today is uh, someone you are going to recognize from uh, many of your favorite Canadian films, your favorite Canadian TV, and if you went to theater school out east, you may have been taught by her. We're talking to Rosemary Dunsmore today. Hey, Rosemary, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and taking time out of your busy schedule. You're in the middle of doing Tartuffe at Cannes stage. Yep, and we just happened to get you just at the right moment. Yes, you did. What's it like being a Canadian icon who's doing constant <laughs> film and television and theater? Well, really, I, I hate to actually give a disparaging story, but really, I have experienced this on numerous occasions, is that people, I see them see me, and I see them come over and they go, oh, I love your work. I love it. What's your name? <laughs> And they and they're sort of semi apologetic, but I think that's a uh, that's very much about being a Canadian actor. But I had a conversation just yesterday at a reception for Tartuffe. A woman came up to me and said, "Oh, you're Catherine Brooke from Anna Green Gables." Uh, <laughs> of course, and, I was going to ask him like, "Is Anna Green Gables the big one you get recognized oh, for?" all the time, all the time. And in fact, actually, I was I told her this story, and I love this story myself. I was in Utah. Because I've been recognized for that, for Anna Green Gables, for Catherine Brooke, all over the world, Mm -hmm. everywhere. And just my voice. I was in a theater in New York, and somebody turned around and they said, oh my God, it's Catherine Brooke. I thought so when I was hearing your voice. Anyway, this woman, I I was out in the the Utah Shakespeare Festival, a whole bunch of audience, and uh, this, I saw the man see me in his 30s. He came over, are you an actress? Yes, I am. Were you? Yes, I was. It's her, it's her. He calls his wife over. His wife comes over and she just sort of stares, slack-jawed at me for a moment and then utters, you are an icon in our family. And she said, no, 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 seriously. We watch Anna Green Gables every year on Thanksgiving. That's the only time you're allowed to watch it. Is on that. I'm thinking, that's eight hours of television. That's what you do when you come together with your family? Okay. Plus, they don't talk, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> so I know. Can it just prevents commit. all those sort of difficulties that can arise at a family gathering. Anyway, yeah, I've, as I said to this woman yesterday, I feel very privileged to have been in that show, which has landed so heartily into the landscape of people's imaginations. Sort of like Wizard of Oz for me. Mm-hmm. I can good. tell that that's what it's like. It's like if I got to talk to the Tin Woodman or something like that. <laughs> that you get to step inside your favorite oh stories. Oh my God, you're the Tin Woodman. 
Now, I love that you brought up Anna Green Gables because there is a variation of Anna Green Gables in the film you picked That's today. True. That's uh, true. Which is delightful. And also a little Easter egg photo of the director within one of the portraits of the book covers, yeah. which I was like, oh, well done, Jeremy Lalonde. Very clever for you and your art department. Uh, what movie did you pick today? I picked How to Plan an Orgy in a Small Town. Which is amazing. It's so good, guys. And uh, you're at, actually in this movie very briefly. I am ever so briefly. And But you know... When I went to the screening of it, because I agreed to do it for just it's fun and because I like to support these ventures because these movies are made, they are they are such labors of love. Uh, everybody's working for a pittance, if anything. And, um, you know, one has the notion that making movies is such a glamorous thing. Well, in this case, and this is not unusual making these kind of uh, low budget movies, we were all just hanging out in the basement of houses and it's there's nothing sharing dressing rooms, nothing glamorous about it at all. But that said, when I went to the screening, I didn't really know what to expect because my part was so tiny. And I went to Jeremy afterwards and said, I'm so proud to be in this movie. It's so smart and funny and clever and kind of destabilizing and confronts the fundamentally prurient prudish there's two contradictory words and I think that kind of says it actually it's a prudent prur it's a prurient prudish movie exactly yeah. so you think it would have flown way better in the states than it did they hated this movie. It currently sits at 33% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a travesty outright. And I think it's because people didn't understand it and it may have been marketed incorrectly, but we're gonna mm -hmm. get into that. So you picked this film. What is this film about? Uh, this is a story of a young woman who is, she leaves town as a teenager because she is very embarrassed uh, in a sexual incident. So she leaves, she writes an article condemning her town for being uptight and narrow-minded. And 12 years later, when her mother dies, her mother who happens to be the woman who writes this series of books, which are vaguely reminiscent of a series of, like Anne of Green Gables. Victoria of the True North. Yeah, Victoria of the True North. Sort of Anne of Green Gables meets Nancy Drew, probably. Um, but she returns when her mother dies to deal with affairs, but she, uh, her own career as a writer is stalled and she finds herself challenged by the townspeople who are still, her contemporaries, are still angry at her for having made these comments and they're defending themselves of saying we're not narrow-minded, we're marvelous people and we're swinging. And so she said, oh yeah, have you ever had an orgy? And that notion, that word, drops into the consciousness of the town and crazy things happen. <laughs> People reveal themselves and meet themselves and are forced to confront with their own uh, relationship to their own sexuality. And to each other. Yeah. And it's uh, it's very adult and not necessarily in the way that you might be thinking. Even though it is um, very sexy, it's a very mature film and mature look about sex. Very well, intelligent. Yeah, and it's also, it's... It's an honest look. It 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 shoot. I mean, sex is a gigantic topic, yeah. and everybody's different in relationship to it. But it is what the movie is really looking at is 
ah, the fundamental awkwardness of it. Like, there is a sequence. Can we talk about the movie? Like we can be, Let's spoil yeah, it. Okay. Uh, Let's do a quick thing. You can find this movie on iTunes. It is available for rent for $3. Give Jeremy LaLonge your money. He deserves it. He makes good movies. Um, and also on Amazon Prime, it's streaming there as well. Rosemary, take it away. There's a sequence near the end of the movie where uh, the leading, one of our leading men, it's a fantastic ensemble piece. The movie is just filled with fan- wonderful, funny actors who give very courageous performances because they are literally bearing themselves, but they're bearing themselves in this arena of our being, which is our sexuality, which is this bottom line thing, which fundamentally, I think for everybody is to some degree or other embarrassing. Um, And in this sequence, he's embarrassed by the face he makes when he has an orgasm. And his wife has, you know, made fun of him for this. And so he's deeply humiliated by this. But our leading lady says to him, come on, everybody makes funny faces when they have an orgasm. And then there's a whole sequence of seeing everybody's faces when they're having orgasms. And I've never seen that before. I've (laughs) I've never seen anybody sort of point that out. I've thought it before. But I've never actually seen it sort of thrown right on the page and said, let's look at this, folks. So the whole film, too, looks at sex from this kind of um, affectionate, um, unembarrassed, uh, practical isn't quite, quite the right word, but it's not... The sex scenes aren't intended to turn you on in mm-hmm. a way. The sex scenes are meant to say, this is what people do when they have sex. Doesn't it, isn't it kind of funny? There's a lot of questions and brainstorming in this film, which is what I love. Where And I think those are the best movies where a question is asked and then the filmmaker attempts to answer that question. And the question here is, what if just for like one evening, you were able to put all of your embarrassment and all your, all your inhibitions aside and understand that everybody else has the exact same awkwardness and confusion you do and just go and it ends up being exactly as awkward and as weird but still as fulfilling as you think it would be there's a scene again because the embarrassment quotient uh and the discomfort quotient is very high at the beginning of the movie and the more that people reveal to each other that everyone's as embarrassed as everybody else for different reasons and somehow those reasons for which they're that this guy ejaculates too soon, this person really just wants to get pregnant and is actually probably kind of frigid. Um, So various problems like that. By the time they actually are, they've been through these conversations and kind of relaxed about it all and said, we want to do this anyway. When they actually are having the orgy and you see these scenes and there's sex happening in front of one another, there's something so interesting about that scene because it's not it's not what you think an orgy would look like. No. There are people that are actually, like, oh yeah, they're having sex now. And uh, I kind of wish I were too. So, you know, one guy's Mark O'Brien's character is flinging himself onto the other bodies, <laughs> trying to be engaged in this and then being pushed off. And then other people are just kind of watching and encouraging, but... The embarrassment has gone away. Mm-hmm. But it's also their their own personal hang-ups, not just about sex, but like the way they are being stymied in the world is also addressed in these things, right? Like um, 
Mark O'Brien's character just is trying too hard at absolutely everything. Yeah. And so when he's finally able to, like, get in the zone, if you will, <laughs> he is, uh, then he's able to, like, settle in and really master his craft, which just happens to so be having sex with a man. So that's that's kind of where that sits. Same with uh, Joseph Chur- or, uh, Jonas Chernick, uh, as people remember from Borealis. He's great. Am I Awkward sex- Sexual Adventure? This cast is bananas. Um, he has to figure out how he can slow down and actually connect to someone without being afraid and running away. Yeah. And then when he's finally able to actually connect to Tommy Amber Peary, again, this cast is bananas, um, that's when he's able to be in the groove and she has to learn to open up to someone. And um, uh, Lauren Lee Smith has to learn how to actually uh, accept that she doesn't actually need a man. She just needs, you know, uh, she just needs their seed, if you will, yeah. to be able to be the mother, which is actually what she wants. Um, so you're seeing everybody kind of accomplish, become technically better people through embracing their sexual And a lot of, it, it, I don't know that it's, it, well, it's not actually, um, it's, it's not laid out for everybody, but the film does suggest that one's sexual identity is, or the trauma of one's sexual identity is established early on mm-hmm. uh, by maybe some whatever your first encounters with sex might be. This film doesn't doesn't go anywhere near the territory of what it would be if if there were a sexual abuse situation when when you're younger. It doesn't. It's not about that at all. But it does uh, address that those first time the first time you had sex and was that a good experience or was it a bad experience was it and in the case of the leading lady it was a very embarrassing experience and for the man she was having looking to have sex with it was very embarrassing for him too he was frightened he kind of ran away and those two adults 12 years later still haven't addressed that that they've sort of been running from the truth of that initial encounter by which they defined themselves. And I think that initial, uh, that inciting incident of uh, Jewel State's younger version of herself, who's doing a great Jewel State impersonation. Jewel State has a very specific manner of speaking and that young actress, I'm sorry, I don't have her name in front of me. um, Chloe. Uh, Cleland. Yes. Zoe Cleland. Yes, thank you. Um, she does a remarkable job of imitating that or like um, reenacting that that vocal tone, yeah. but not doing an imitation of it. She's very good. Um, but that you don't see teenage sex look like that in films very often, where it is awkward and it's uncomfortable, and that the the young man is the one who has a reluctance to it, and he's the one not ready for it, even though the young woman is, and then she gets slut shamed for it. So it's a very unique point of view to start a film off at all. And it's a reversal of just about anything you would see in any other film. Um, the closest thing I can think of is something like Super Bad, but even then, there's a very broy sort of attitude to like, what's wrong with these guys? They don't want to have sex, or what's wrong with these guys? They're afraid of sex. Whereas this one is like, no, that's okay, and this is part of development. You may have to apologize for it later, but this is okay. And I think that's a really important point of view to have. And I think that's why it. Going back to the whole reviews that it got in the States, I think that's why people had such different expectations because you're seeing movies like, you know, American Pie, Porky's to a certain extent, where people are expecting, and even now, like Game of Thrones, uh, Westworld, you're seeing a lot of nudity, you're seeing a lot of graphic sexual scenes, and that's what people have come to expect. So when you're starting to look at sexuality and anxiety, people just, they don't know how to feel because they see themselves reflected in that 
and it's not what they expected. So I have a feeling that's why the reviews yeah, were I, not so I mean, nice. I, I just skimmed a review and then I just got disgusted. I went, what is the matter? Yeah. Or and did you watch the same movie? Yeah. They, uh, but I re- saying that, that the characters never progress beyond uh, a skit, like a Saturday Night Live skit character. And I thought, that's just so not true. Yeah. I mean, I think that somebody like... Uh, uh, the character of Heather who's the woman who just wants to get pregnant she's extreme and she presents herself initially as a bit of a caricature and certainly uh, Christian Bruin the, uh, who's the guy buried the video games in his mother base, mother's basement it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a caricature you could say that about a number of them but I felt all those actors and the script allowed people to uh, inhabit those characters and turn them into real people with real issues and because caricatures are they become a caricature because they're real I would agree and I think there's something to be said for the cleverness of the writing in this where everything is a little bit heightened like you have to understand the tone of this sits more in like down with love rom-commy land than it does in like flat out comedy or flat out drama that you would see in something like for example Zack and Miri make a porno which I think this film is very similar to to if you like that movie you're gonna love this one I think this one is actually way smarter um, but there's something about having that heightened tone that some people just can't inhabit, uh, inhabit and it speaks to the the talent and the skill of the actors that I wanted to know more, that the actors themselves bring the depth to these characters that in the wrong hands of someone who was on SNL could be a caricature and, a, and just a, a face rather than, or like a quirk rather than a full yeah. embodied character. But you feel for Catherine Isabel, you feel for Jewel State, um, you feel for Tommy Amberpiri. You're like, these are moments that hurt. Uh, when Tommy Amberpiri is making out with Jonas Chernus for the first time and he, and she says, oh, I'm just making out with you because I'm bored. It's like, oh, that was meant to hurt that person. That's really painful. And you see his reaction in the back. You can't do that if you haven't engendered goodwill and actual humanity within these characters. I don't think they're caricatures at all. I think people are becoming desensitized to how people normally talk. Because like, as we're sitting here, Becky, you're just like, you're just dating like crazy. I gesticulate wildly. Gesticulate, sorry. You know, and that's, that's how people normally interact with each other. They connect with each other. They're very big. They're very animated. And I think we're getting um, desensitized to that, or not desensitized, but we're getting very, um, let's say, monotone yeah, or in cool. the way acting, or cool, or yeah, mumbly. Yeah, it's cool, mumbly acting. So when I mean, I've been on sets. I've been on sets where I've had uh, a certain famous actress say to me, <laughs> yes. It, oh, actually, the scene was about a loss of hearing, and, and she was speaking. You actually couldn't hear anything that she was saying, and then, but she was saying, "This is the way. This is the way I've learned to act. This is what too many words don't. like." She was celebrating that, and and there we were, where I was, I was supposed to be uh, deaf and reading lips. I don't know, whatever. I couldn't hear what she was saying anyway. Mm-hmm. In it, like it was so fake. The whole thing was fake. Um, in terms of capturing a scene, it probably looked pretty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it was not real life. No. And that's what people 
are not used to. So when you see people using their hands a lot and being so animated with their faces, they're like, oh, that must be a caricature. This person's not connected in any way. But we've sort of even watched that with the progression of certain actors who were around in the 70s and are still with us. So, I mean, you look at Pacino, right? And like, you see what he's doing in something like Dog Day Afternoon is huge, huge. And it works for the character and it's awesome. And you're there because you get caught up in his enthusiasm and his thing. And then you are, we're now making fun of him for stuff like Scent of a Woman, where he's roughly doing the same thing. He's, he's just saying- He's fantastic in Scent of a Woman. He's just saying hua a lot more. <laughs> it's he's just fantastic in that. Yeah. But it's, it, yeah, I think styles change and we're in a, we're in a style right now where everything is very quiet. And, and I, I don't know, I can't remember the last time I laughed at an American comedy from the last three years. Um, this made me laugh out loud repeatedly. Both of you did like a sort of look to the side being like, have I? Yeah, I know. Mm. And I can't think of the last thing from the States that genuinely made me laugh. And this one, I had to pause that I was laughing so hard at one point. We watched this. Danielle came over and we watched this with my boyfriend. And he was in tears at parts. He was like, this is great. I make him watch a lot of Canadian movies. He doesn't love them all. (laughs) But uh, this one, he's like, this is so good. Where did this go? And I'm like, it got buried, unfortunately. And Rosemary, this is something you were bringing up, the burying films I know they just they they disappear I mean I was I went through my resume and sort of look pulled out a list of, of movies that I made that I think were really good that have disappeared can I like can I say that? yeah like, don't get killed in Alaska it's an absolutely beautiful film by Bill Taylor with Tommy Amber Perry's of in course. it she plays my daughter um, that's a fantastic movie that I don't think anybody ever saw it um, the Citizen Dwayne, Expecting, um, the, the Baby Formula, At Home By Myself With You. Now, The Baby Formula and At Home By Myself With You, I think both those movies were on Air Canada. Air Canada's good yeah. about, uh, that's where I see a lot of Canadian films. So I, there was one at time that I was on a plane, and this was when, so this is probably about five years ago, whenever it was, you didn't have a choice. Now everybody's got a choice, everybody's watching a different movie. Back then, you could only watch one movie. So the movie, and this was on a morning flight from Toronto to Kelowna or Calgary or something like that. And the film that was playing was Le Grand Seduction, The Grand Seduction. So it was the English one hadn't been made yet, it was the French one. And when it came on, I could see, I looked around and I saw nobody's watching this movie. They've all just decided it's not a good movie. So I started to watch it and there were a few of us and we started laughing. So they, we were like, we were really laughing because it's funny and you felt more people were going, oh, what is that? And putting on, and, and by the end of that flight, there were tons of people watching that movie and laughing at it and going, oh my God, that was such a good movie. That was such, but even people have just said, oh, well, it's a Canadian movie. I'm not going to watch it. It's this trauma. And also that was uh, what you were just describing was the reverse monkey with the banana uh, monologue that uh, Jewel State does in this, which is exactly what he's talking about. And man, that monologue is so well delivered. Jewel State. She does a marvelous job. She needs to be in more stuff. I I mean, I know she does a lot of television, but she's just so pigeonholed into like sci-fi, which is not a bad genre, but like she's just capable of so much. She's so good. Um, But we were talking earlier about how uh, people are traumatized by Canadian film. Like as soon as the word Canadian film gets slapped on something, we're like... (gasps) 
oh, well, this is going to be boring or this is going to be twee or this is not going to be for me. And there's just so much. I mean, we have a podcast that we're over 160 episodes in at this point about how great so many of these movies are. So how do we change people's minds about these things? Yeah, no, it's, well, it's, of course, the distribution problem is, is, I, any producer will tell you is insurmountable. Mm. Well, and the marketing too, right? Well, it's like marketing and all, and it costs all of that costs so much money. And yeah. of course, we're against the behemoth of Hollywood that makes it hard. The thing I don't know, maybe it's gradually. I think people want to see their own story. They want to know. They want to hear the name of their hometown. They want to uh, be able to recognize themselves. And in a way, you have to make allowances because, say, a movie like this one that we're talking about was made on a shoestring. Yeah, it was Indiegogo'd, and then they got like yeah. a small amount from Telefilm. I know, that was being at the screening, having there were people coming up from the States who had donated to the movie, and they'd come to see their movie. I thought that was super cool. Um, but people come to see this movie expecting the same kind of production value that there is in a movie that was made for 10, 20 million dollars. Well, they're not gonna look the same. And so you have to come uh, with, uh, it's, not, it's not that you lower your expectations, it's just that uh, your heart's open to the spirit of it, to find yourself and, and, and also just honor, oh my God, look how fantastic this is made on nothing. But there's an indie sensibility that I think we had, we started to get it back in the 90s. We got it in the 70s because you had like your, you know, your Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You had your Easy Rider. You had all that. When we were like, okay, indie films. We're into this grit. We like things to be a little bit off. And then we got back into the 90s when we were seeing stuff by like Richard Linklater. These are all men because of course they are. Kevin Smith. Um, you know, so we were again getting back to that grit. And now we're back into this like polished Marvel Universe world where like we want everything to be shiny, shiny. Even our indie films like I, Tanya is gorgeous and has how much CGI and that's you know an indie movie. Uh, I know that was last year, but still. But when you ha when you see movies that are asking the interesting questions and genuinely have funny things to say and are going to offer a point of view that you may not be familiar with, you're going to get stuff that's a little rough around the edges, and I think that's what makes it joyous. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I agree with you. And there's stuff in this, like, I mean, this is not by any means a perfect film. Uh, Jeremy, I think, in a, a number of his films, and I adore him, and he's coming on the show very soon, um, and he's been on the show uh, before talking about The Go-Getters, but um, he has such a soft spot for a really good joke that sometimes the, the show will slow down because of a good joke, and it's like, Eh, that one could have been sacrificed for the good of the momentum. Um, but that's when you're going to see a Jeremy Lalonde movie, you know that's going to happen, right? That the movie's going to slow down because the joke's going to be good and it's going to be a good joke. So how much allowance do we have for that? Yeah, well, Woody Allen, hmm. he is not always successful. Sort of maybe one in six movies is super good, like super good, like perfect. That's usually when someone else has a hand in it, but yeah. <laughs> and then there are... but. He's almost always, or he was anyway, attempting something interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so you went going, okay, what's he going to do this time? Um, and you're kind of interested in the sensibility of the filmmaker. And somebody like Jeremy, obviously, is not only has got a great sense of humor, and he's funny, but he's also uh, insightful and kind yeah. about people's, shall we call them idiosyncrasies. 
there's a moment in this that uh, I think my boyfriend laughed at the hardest was when Jewel State is explaining what a queef is in like the most intelligent terms that I think I've ever heard anything like that discussed. And, you know, in other movies, it would be treated with disgust and like, it's crass. gross. It would be crass. crass There'd be like yeah. a vulgarity to it. And there's no really, like, there's no vulgarity in this. There's no gross out moment, really, unless you have... Um, an aversion to talking about sex at all, unless you yourself are approved, and then you probably need this mo- this movie more than other people. Well, the monkey speech that's smacked there right in the middle, I mean, that speech has to, if you really listen to it, and I'd heard that story about the, the monkey, This is these are, uh, just to say it quickly, that that uh, there's a banana at the top of a ladder, uh, a group of monkeys in the cage. One of the monkeys goes to get the banana and he's showered with cold water. And once that happens long enough, he realizes, they all realize, don't go for, don't go for that because we'll all get doused in cold water. And then they introduce a new monkey in, the new monkey comes in, doesn't know about the cold water, so he obviously goes for the banana and the others drag him back down again. And then as they generationally go on, soon there are all new monkeys in there who there's no more cold water, but they all know whenever anybody goes for that banana that uh, the others will attack him. And they don't even know why they're doing it anymore. And she tells that story. She doesn't attempt to directly equate it to whatever one's own particular trauma is about sex, but really it's it just is allowed to sit there in the face of a kind of Victorian uh, prudery that we in North America especially are still under the thumb of, mm. uh, that we, our relationship to sex is still very much affected by you know, you've got to have skirts on the legs of the chairs because you couldn't reveal the legs of the chairs. That would be rude. Too much, too much. Too much. Yes. And so we're, and I think we're on, we've got big swings in relationship to that. There is certainly uh, <clears throat> an attempt to blast through that. And that that is maybe our overdoing of sex in your face. Uh, and certainly sex in your face is used to market all kinds of things. But all those extremes, the extreme of uh, blah, I can do whatever I want and I'm going to shove it in your face or ooh, we don't want any of that. We all exist somewhere on that continuum and that continuum is still very much affected by a, I don't call it, a, let's call it a Victorian prudery. It's, it's born out of religion, I think, or it's, born out of the patriarchy it's who knows what it's born out of but we're all affected by it and, and I don't know about you but unless some... you're Dan Savage <laughs> <laughs> no 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 he's good he will speak for us all um, I think for me it's there's something fascinating about a movie like this where again this appears in the middle of the spectrum total um, kudos to Jeremy Lalonde for having the main few characters be women and to be able to speak openly about sex but this film still passes the Bechdel test which we had to pause the movie to figure yes. this out whether or not it does but it does uh, just barely <laughs> Just barely, Just but barely, it does. It does. Um, and but there's still some points where I'm like, okay, had what are the more interesting ways this could have ended? So I almost wonder if the more interesting choice for Catherine Isabel's character, like the exact opposite, because she gets divorced to or she gets divorced uh, from Mark O'Brien's character, and then she ends up with Seth, who plays who's your son uh, in the film. Um, 
I'm like, the more interesting choice is for her to end up alone and to realize she doesn't want to be with anybody. And that would be interesting to have one person who's like, you know what, I'm good for now. And to to get out, to get out of that sort of thing. She's the one who didn't need to explore her, her sexuality. You don't, do you think? I didn't really have the sense she was going to stay, hang out. With oh, no, definitely not. No, I mean, I think she was doing a kindness. <laughs> mm. I think it was it, because she was the most... She was the one who was the most comfortable with her she sexuality. Was, she's laughing at Except everybody. Except maybe Spencer. Yes. Spencer's the older gentleman who's sardonically smiling at everybody all the time. I really liked Bruce. I thought he was terrific. So for her to offer up her sexuality to the terrified one, the terrified child, I thought it was a, a lovely act of generosity on her part. And uh And... Uh, it was, um, yeah, it was generous. And for a woman who's maybe been quite selfish. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, that's not a point of view. I, I, I saw it as, because for me, I was like, okay, we dealt with the heartbreak of her in the divorce and that she hasn't, was yeah, it that scene, they played that scene. So well. That scene outside the house, just they had that one short scene where she legitimized herself yeah. as a character yeah. mm-hmm. in just that one creed occur that came out of her. Well, there's eight people, like eight main characters, if you will. And in that kind of ensemble, and this movie is not long. This movie is like maybe an hour and 40 minutes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, so to get invested in any of these characters and be able to actually follow the plot lines is like Robert Altman level of impressive, where you're like, I care about who these people are, what their problems are. I can identify what their issue is. And maybe part Part of the thing people were thinking about character caricature e is that maybe people think there's a simplicity in that of like this is this person's problem and this is what they need to resolve and that's the key identifying point but it's but again the actors bring so much depth to it that that doesn't seem to yeah, be an issue and, i mean we're complicated but we are also kind of simple yeah and driven by our motivators right yeah yeah and and uh, they do seem to they take a, our, our whatever our core uh uh, our core problems are our core mm, hang-ups hang-ups misunderstandings about ourselves or, or the things we don't won't forgive ourselves for it, it can take years to uh and a, and a, and a number of tries <laughs> and to iron out a problem that is your stumbling block and i think that's what people also were looking for in this movie that doesn't necessarily happen but it doesn't happen in normal life either they're they're very complex hang-ups they take a lot of little baby steps they're yeah. not going to be like completely resolved by the end of it. But that's what you see in these characters. You see just like a little bit of fulfillment each time, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the ending in the movie, it comes a little, it comes a little abruptly. Um, and that's, that's just money, really. Yeah. And I do know too, uh, yeah, because I remember going, oh, you missed something. Really? My character, my... Because it's a movie about me, right? Even though I only have two lines. But uh, my character should come back. That's what oh, we thought, I, too. Please, oh, go and ahead. that's set up. Yeah. Like, and I figured, I said, I should have been in a cab coming home with my straw hat on from the cruise, the cruise ship, and watched my son streak by naked in this one of people. It was a, Except in watching the movie, I realized nobody would have known who I was. The character wasn't strongly enough established. Uh, I was I was looking forward to that though. Yeah, and looking forward to her coming home to the house. The reaction. Uh, yeah. That or that uh, my boyfriend brought up the idea because he's very clever that uh, you show up as it's ending and are like, oh, 
I did this back in the 70s. This is great. And you let get me the, join you in. Just let me join in oh. as an option. I was like, okay, I can see that. But yeah, because yeah, we were wondering if there was more that was for you, there for your character. Was there something there that we no. didn't get to see? No. Okay. No. What uh, we saw was what was on the page. No. Okay. And I do know, I think, I, uh, as I recall, I think the uh, naked run through the town, uh, there was more written about that. But... Uh, Okay, I have an interview with I Jeremy think, where, which clarifies that bit. I that think there bit. was a snowstorm, so they couldn't do it. And I know it was really cold. Oh, no. So here's oh. the thing. So they shot this in Unionville, which you know because yeah. you were there, uh, which people will know as the place where they shot the the uh, Gilmore Girls pilot. Uh, so that tells you all you need to know about Unionville. Um, but they had planned the run, and the the city got wind that they were going to do this, and were like, we will shut you down if you if you do the run. And they oh. did it anyway. <laughs> so that was done guerrilla style without the permission of oh. the town, which is why they're in a back alley doing it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because I'm sure that that's not exactly the way Jeremy would have wanted to shoot it. No, he would have had people going straight down the main street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the main streak, if you will. Yes. Yeah, the main streak. Unionville um, is very lovely, though. Yes. Regardless of what we said, very nice. Very it lovely. is. It's super pretty. Yep. I, I mean, when I got up there, I went, oh. God, this is so pretty. It's an absolutely gorgeous little town. What are we going to do to this place? Why wouldn't you want to live here? On all these pashminas. Um, all right, we are at favorite moments, guys. There's these one-liners. It, it was single moments, which was from the lovely actors, like at the funeral when, uh, uh, what's her name? The one who wants to get pregnant. Heather's up there reading the thing about despicable society but crying from her mother's book and then cuts back to Jewel's character and she just looks for a moment and then just says I hate everything <laughs> and just it was quick liners like that or when <laughs> when Christian's character Seth turns up and says do you do you know how to play daughters and sons or some video yeah, game father-daughter warfare father-daughter warfare I don't know what you're talking about and it's just the look of it just complete dismissal on his face <laughs> walked away <laughs> just, yeah. That's what I can think of at the moment. I mean, there's so many. It, there's so many moments in this that are just like, okay, that was good. There that were was many good. things that made me actually laugh out loud yeah. in the moment. How about you, Danielle? You know what? I really, really loved Christian's performance um, coming from a comedy background. And I just, I adore that moment where it's it's his birthday. You're there. You're saying, why don't you come on the cruise with me? And it's just that face of like, I don't know. It just, it breaks my heart. He did such a great job in the film. Jace, uh, James McGowan, who plays Spencer, is so good in this. He's so dry and like the exact perfect tone. And there's a moment when they're in your house on the uh, for the orgy and he's just laying naked on the couch. And it's like, how are you so comfortable? Have you even been in here before? He's like, nope. <laughs> like, That's wonderful. Uh, Joseph Chernick has an amazing line where he's got um, Heather up in like a wheelbarrow position. He's like, I think we both have to be lesbians to do this. <laughs> yeah, we both have to be lesbians. And he drops her, which is just... Oh, that was funny. Oh, so good and then um adam taking off his shoes to go into the house to go to the orgy where they take the time for that it's like of course he takes well then also off. the time that he takes to put his shoes back on yes. in order to go outside and streak through the town so like good it, that he even just said i think i'll need my shoes but he puts on his shoes in such a weird way like he's got a back problem yes yes <laughs> <laughs> well i think it's also because he's trying to hide his yeah he is. he's trying camera. to yeah because the, this is a movie about sex yeah in which 
Do we? You see breasts, we, we but see you don't breasts, see any other full but you don't see, see any no. bottoms no. from men or women. No. Uh, oh, we didn't even. But get... you do see some vigorous. You do fornication. Well, well, we didn't even get into the pregnant woman, which is one of the best. Oh, Nicole yeah. Brown is yes. so funny. I was dying at that point. Um, and then I think, but my favorite part, totally, because I always appreciate when a rom com, and I think this has the bones of a rom com, um, takes a moment to redefine the way humans connect with each other romantically and what that means and the kindness we can throw show each other and as you were saying this ends with a series of people's orgasm faces there's a great montage of people's orgasm faces but um jewel state holds uh adam's face i'm sorry i haven't looked up the actor's name adam's uh, adam's face and hers and he said she says look weird with me and i'm like that yeah that's just oh, that, a, no anis anis thank you it's such a beautiful gentle moment where it's yeah she's connecting with someone in a really lovely way and it's like oh look weird with me yes that's exactly what we're doing it's yeah. this moment of we're both gonna do this and, and abandon and it's wonderful Ugh, I love it Rosemary how do people find you and your work oh uh, uh, well Tartuffe right now but that'll be over so quickly in the blink of an eye yeah. but hopefully to be seen again uh, next thing I'm doing is the reboot of Street Legal. Oh, that's Ooh. so exciting. It's coming on CBC in March. Oh. So we're very excited and proud of that. We did six episodes. and oh, That's so exciting. I know I've a got lot a of very cool part in it. So. Oh, nice. You can't tell, tell. Give us a little preview, can you? Uh, yeah, I can, I guess. Yeah. Um, there, are, uh, there are three new young lawyers in it, and I am the mother of... Uh, the male lawyer and that's Steve Lund and I am the mother nobody would want to have because I'm a nice middle-class lady but I have become severely uh, addicted to opiates oh interesting so um, I'm just big trouble <laughs> this is gonna be so good <laughs> yeah, no wait. it's good I mean yeah. the series really addresses the uh, opiate addiction problem. Well, that's interesting because actually we were talking to uh, some of the people at the U of T Media Commons and uh, they can't find for streaming the original Street Legal anywhere. I think there's a, something weird going on about the rights for actually who owns that. But uh, mm, I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited that a new one's coming out. I know they'll be super stoked too. It's going to be awesome. Uh, do you have any social media people can follow you, follow you on? Nope. Nope. Perfect. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Check out her IMDb. Go look at everything. It's yeah. Be the Street Legal Zone on my IMDb. What? I thought, I thought that was so weird. I went. I, I was actually looking at it today, and and uh, oh, Orphan Black, and I just did a, a film. Oh shoot. The but, Toll. Yeah, The Toll. I did this very cool. Again, another Canadian movie done on a shoestring by a bunch of fantastic uh, young people who were so. Oh, it's such a, and we it, the whole thing shot at night, um, in the forest. It's all kind of scary and cool, actually. Uh, so that's coming. But street legal wasn't. So all these things were there, and uh, that new the hot zone, mm -hmm. which is a new TV show. I'm on that. But street legal wasn't on the list. Which I thought was strange. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Their yeah. marketing team is CBC. They've, yeah. they've got limited resources. Yeah. Is there any it's streaking coming. in any of these shows coming up? No. Oh. oh no! You have to watch oh. how to plan an orgy in a small town. That's yeah. streaking. <laughs> Just I think it's a good third date movie. We'll say third date. First date might be a bit much. Third date, yeah, totally. Yeah, I yep. would agree with that. Totally. How about you, Danielle? How do people find you? 
Uh, you can find me on social media at Danny Ao. You can find me on my website at www.danielleao.com. And uh, but you're not black. My documentary is coming out very soon in June 2019. We're super excited about that. We went all the way to LA for some of the. Uh, we went interviews. to LA. We went to Trinidad. Yeah. Yep. Well, you went to Trinidad. I some went of to us Trinidad. Home. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be great. I'm really excited about that. And then, uh, as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters uh, at Le Shrimpton. That's the masculine Le Shrimpton over there. You can find me on Instagram, Caridia underscore extravaganza. Uh, I just want to shout out to BlogTO. Thank you so much for including us on your list of uh, 50 podcasts you should listen to in Toronto. Uh, we are in very good company over there. So go check that out. Thanks again, guys. We appreciate it. That's just about everything. So, guys, do you want to go get a moose head? Let's go. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.